Well, again, welcome, and we are so glad that you are just part of this, part of what God is doing here at CRBC. And if you don't know me, my name is Steve. I am the lead pastor, and again, we want to welcome you if you're online or if you're here in person. We started this new series called The Weary World Rejoices, and now we're going to start to wrap that up. But why this series? Well, Man, we need the good news right now. We need to learn how to delight in the highs of and lows of life. There just seems to be so many things going on right now. You know, announcements from the news, you know, division here and there, and changes after changes, and it just seems to never end. But last week, we looked at how Jesus is the giver of good gifts, didn't we? And when we receive that good gift... That makes all the difference in our life. Today, I want to take that a step further, is that Jesus is not only the giver of a good gift, that we can also find this loving peace when we call on his name. Well, I don't know about you, but I love the snow. Okay, driving in it can be a little crazy. But anytime the forecast says there is going to be snow tomorrow, my girls are humming with anticipation. They can't wait to get out, put on the gloves, put on the toque, and jump right in. A few years back, that's exactly what happens. And they woke up early. I think it was like 6 a.m. Like, Daddy, Daddy, it's snowing. Sure enough, I looked out, and it is a winter wonderland. <laughs> and, and Allie's like, Dad, can it be a snow day? Yeah, Hal, it can be a snow day. So right away, we jumped up out of bed. We put on all our snow gear, and we had a lot of fun. Even within the first hour, we built a snowman, and even the community kids jumped in. Here's a picture of it. It was a ton of fun. But we also wanted to go tobogganing. And so we grabbed all our toboggans, and right by our old house, there was this pathway. And on one side of the path, there was a post. On the other side of the path, there was another post. And at the end of the path, there's a creek, and it would be a death trap. Well, we still went tobogganing. I remember the girls kind of going down over and over, and you just see the joy of them, you know, experiencing the snow. So Anna, who was about five at the time, kind of went faster and faster and was kind of veering from one side to the other. And I remember putting myself right in front of the post, so when she came down, she would hit me and not the post. <laughs> And so I was watching, and as she was coming down, she turned the other direction and went smack right into the other post. Well, what's the first thing that happens? Mom! You know, she called the name for Megan. And out of calling that name, she was looking for love. Comfort, someone that would come and just wrap her up and give her 
the love that she needed. But she didn't call my name. <laughs> she called the name of her mother. Anna called that specific name because she knew that the name of mom would give her, again, the kisses, the nurture, and the love that she needed. But the question for us this morning is, what name gives you a loving peace when you're hurting? You know, maybe you've hit a post in your relationships, or in your faith, or in your health, or your finances, and you don't know what to do. What name do you call out to? Today we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah. And the name Isaiah means salvation. It means deliverance. And Isaiah gives us this picture of this name. This name that we can call upon when we are in trouble. And that's exactly what happened with Israel. They're constantly veering off the path that God set out for them. And God is trying, no, no, come back. Come back to me. And yet, they continually wander away. And in the middle of it, God allows fear and oppression to set in and other kingdoms to correct them. So they, again, would come back to what God has called them to. But it goes without saying that this prophecy is so specific in the Old Testament that, again, it was Isaiah's role to point out who this Messiah will be. He was very precise in the birth, in the role in government, and that the Messiah will have four names, and that he will reign in peace, and that there will be this eternal rule on the throne of David. And Isaiah paints this picture of this king who's going to come in a powerful name, a name that has meaning, a name that is attached to a baby, a name that will change the course of history. This name above every name. This name that will cause the weary world to rejoice. And the four names of the child are, say it with me, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's look at the first name, Wonderful Counselor. Again, I'm going to read the passage Isaiah 9, 6 says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, let's start with Wonderful Counselor. When you hear the word wonderful, what do you think of? Maybe it's a person... Maybe it's a place. You know, we often use the word wonderful just to describe everyday things, right? Like, oh, that tea was so wonderful. That television show, oh, wonderful. My grandkids, they're wonderful. Then I send them home. 
You know, you know, that pizza was so great, so wonderful. Oh, you are looking so wonderful today. You know, it's kind of an overused word. We've kind of sucked the meaning out of it. But the word in this passage is much more weighty. It means that Jesus is outside of our comprehension. That's how wonderful and amazing he is. That the Christ child is full of wonder. It's hard for you and I to put into words how amazing he is, but he is beyond our understanding. And if you look back at the life of Christ, his wonderfulness was demonstrated all throughout his life. And it starts with him as a baby, and it moves into his teaching, into his healings, and he makes all kinds of difference that is so wonderful, that ends with his death and then his resurrection. In other words, Jesus is some kind of wonderful that is awe-inspiring. It is superior. He is perfect in every way. That's the kind of wonder we're talking about. But he's not just wonderful. He's wonderful counselor. What does it mean that he's counselor? It means that he advises. He counsels. He prepares. He gives purpose with his coming. Charles Spurgeon describes it this way. First, he is God's counselor as he sits at the right side of God. He's in the inner circle, the cabinet of counsel in the kingdom of heaven. He is a counselor, secondly, that communicates on our behalf to God the Father. But he is also a counselor to us. In other words... A great work is being done by our wonderful counselor. And this Christmas child will exceed every other leader. His promises will not be empty in the end. And these plans aren't just for today or tomorrow, but for all eternity. And that's why he is wonderful counselor. So why do we need Christ's counsel? Well, here's what we actually do. You know, we push back against God's wonderful counsel. Or we even try to change his direction, or we even ignore it. You know, it's the problem with our heart, right? Is that we, we love our own counsel almost too much. You know, if anything contradicts our counselor, it, it must be wrong, because we know best. You know, we fight to be right, not righteous. I even see this in my own marriage. Well, I'm right, dear. You know, and we continue to fight and battle until, well, either it breaks all apart or we're like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> but we would rather be right than loving at times. Or many of us even seek the counsel of our friends who agree with us rather than the counsel of Christ. You know, if their advice agrees with my thinking, 
You know, it adds to my gratification, my confirmation. I must be right. Oh, but did you seek the counsel of Jesus? You know, we, we like to maneuver and position things so that we look and feel better about ourselves, even if they don't line up with what Jesus is telling us. And then we wonder why we're feeling broken and hopeless when we're living our lives outside the counsel, the wonderful counselor. So how do you know if you're living a life by the counsel of Jesus? Well, it's leading from a place of humility, sacrifice, and love. It means that every day you're looking for the counsel of Jesus to direct your decisions and your life. It means that you're studying him and his word and you're learning how to lead like Christ. It means that you're relying on the spirit of God and his counsel as you're going through difficulties. It means you're not trying to be right all the time, but you're trying to be righteous. It means that you're not always seeking human advice, but the mind of Christ. It means that you're not leading others into confusion and darkness, but rather into light. This is what it means to seek the counsel of Jesus with your entire life. That's just one name of Christ. Let's move on to the second name. He's also mighty God. Mighty God means he's all-powerful. It refers to the one that he is strong, mighty, and invincible. He is above, he is beyond the best innovations and advancements of our modern world. He's beyond the greatest people like Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, insert Michael Jordan, whatever the name is that you hold high, God is way better. There is nothing in comparison to mighty God. And when we, rec when we recognize how mighty he is, we are moved by his power. When you understand what this means, you have a sense of awe and wonder towards him. And you realize that he is God and you are not. Mighty God. And Jesus is not only mighty God in his birth and in history, he is also mighty God in his death and his resurrection. And since he is God, he deserves our absolute reverence. He deserves our genuine faith. He deserves our supreme love. He deserves our unconditional obedience. He deserves our devoted service. He deserves our sacrificial worship. Because he's almighty God. When I was 18, I was counseling a group of young boys, and one of the trips was to canoe to an island and kind of pitch some tents and have a great experience. Well, yeah, I was okay in the canoe, and I was even the instructor, but I was a scrawny, you know, buck 120 guy. And so we packed all our gear into these canoes 
And I took about 15 guys, and then there's about 15 girls and their counselor over to this island. And it took about an hour of paddling. Well, as I was going, the storm tried to start to stir up, and the wind picked up. And, man, it was a rough paddle. I felt like we barely made it. But when we finally got to the island, we're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, we pitched our tents. We made a fire. We're having a great time. As the sun kind of set, the wind started to howl. Then all of a sudden, this thunder showed up, and it just shook the island. <laughs> I'm like the, the leader here. I'm in this small tent going, oh, I'm afraid. <laughs> Suddenly, the wind picked up so much that trees started to snap. Then the lightning started striking. And no joke, right beside my tent, a lightning bolt hit a tree, and I was terrified. My heart, I thought I was going to die, wouldn't stop pounding for hours. In that moment, I recognized I am nothing in comparison to God. I am so weak and so frail. He is almighty God. I think it's in that weakness that we begin to understand really who God is. How much we need him. How much he's in control. How much we try to pine for, you know, oh, we are so good. But it's in our weakness that we can see God clearly. If you go back into the Old Testament, you see a bunch of great leaders who are really weak. You know, we saw immaturity in Joseph. We saw inadequacy in Moses. Sexual temptation in Samson, David, and Solomon. Depression in Elijah. Marriage problems with Hosea. Impulsiveness with Peter, and the list goes on and on and on. And if we look at ourselves, there's probably all kinds of weakness. There's weakness that we hide, that we, uh, I don't really want people to see my weakness. You know, it may be, you know, seeking approval. There may be secret addictions, laziness, avoiding conflict, anger, blame-shifting, depression, envy. The list goes on and on and on. But before God, can you admit your weakness? Maybe just take a moment and share with your neighbor what your weaknesses are. Oh, no one's doing it? What? <laughs> But the point is that in God's power, he provides all that we need. Ephesians 1, 19 to 21 says this, The incomparable great power of God, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, is already working within those who believe. And the truth is, in our weakness is when we receive God's power. Because he's almighty God. I love what Paul Tripp says. He says this. It should be a slide. Remember, it is not your weakness 
that will get you in the way of God's working through you, but your delusions of strength. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Amen? Point to his strength by being willing to admit your weakness. The next name is Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Well, to be honest, this is a bit controversial. What does it mean that Jesus is Everlasting Father? Well, it simply means Jesus is not God the Father. Don't get that confused. But Jesus has these Father-like characteristics. And what he's saying is that that the father refers to this loving and paternal concern that he has for his kids. And some scholars even say that he is our forever father. In other words, it's, it's emphasizing this external existence or this timeless quality. And his role is our protector, our provider. It's not limited to these earthly qualities but it means that Jesus is the source of all life. Hebrews 1, 2 says it very well, that the Son of God, the Christmas child, is the producer or generator. He is the source, the provider, the protector of all of us. He sustains all of life. Think of it this way. Have you ever seen a father hold a baby, their baby, for the first time? There's something that happens inside of them. There's this natural bond. You can't describe it. I remember holding Hallie for the very first time, and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to cry. I'm a big man. I, I, I can't even describe what happened to me. But I realized she is mine. There's this bond that happened, this love that happened. I wanted to provide for her. I wanted to protect her. It's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's that he loves us so much that he wants to provide for us. He wants to protect us. But the thing with kids is you can't make them love you back. And the same thing with God. He can't make you love him back even though he's providing for you. He's the source of life. He loves you so deeply. Can you see that? And when you recognize that Jesus loves you that much, and you see what he's done, that he's the source of all life, you can't help but love him back. Lastly, the child is the prince of peace. In other words, all... After all time, all his work is done. He will come back and rule as the prince of peace. The Hebrew word here is shalom. Which means there's going to be harmony, wholeness. You're going to make all things right. All those things that are broken, he will undo the brokenness.
And Jesus' peace has this rich implication that is both spiritual and physical. It's both external and internal. And the thing with peace, it's now and not yet. Jesus' peace is now and not yet. That right now you can have peace in your soul despite everything that's going on. But everything external that is happening is not yet. That when he comes again, he will make all things right. We are stuck in the in-between. Let's just talk about this external peace. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can see the need for external peace every day. Every moment. I long for it. I mean, wars, pandemics, people fighting. It's like, come on. Turn on the news. It's like, no, I just want to turn it off. The feeds are full of it. Controversy. People fighting to be right. And if you take an even closer look in what's happening in our world, there's wars happening. I just want to read you from the National Post. This is a post from 2016. Terry Glavin says this. He talks about the war in Syria and what was going on in the city of Aleppo. He says that there's mass murder. And there's, it's happening by chlorine gas. That there's jet fighters dropping bombs. That they're deliberately targeting hospitals and clinics. You know, there's firing squads. There's terrorism. You know, there's these barrel bombs being dropped. There's starvation in the city. Then he says, Aleppo has fallen. The United States has lost. The United Nations has lost. And the bloody war in Syria has already taken half a million lives and continues. Think about what just happened in Afghanistan, the same thing. What's currently happening in China? But this is what got me. A doctor on the ground said this. Pray for us. I hope you can remember us, he says. As he hears the screams and he sees the brokenness, he sees the terror. That, that just happened five years ago. He said, save us. Save us, world. If you have any bit of humanity, you would do something and save us. We beg you, he says. And that's just one moment. The reality is, humanity can't save itself. And we could talk about the many injustices around the globe like this that are still happening today, right now, in this very moment. But what about the dysfunctions even happening in our own lives? What about in our own hearts? 
But again, the Bible tells us that we will never have this external peace until the Prince of Peace returns and rules. And then he will bring shalom. He will bring that calm, that peacefulness of all individuals, groups, and nations. Shalom. But here's the good news for us today. The good news is that we can have an internal peace right now. That we can have a peace in our soul. And it has nothing to do with the situation outside. It has everything to do with the condition of our heart inside. And it's because Jesus, the Prince of Peace, gave his life to break the cycle of sin and destruction inside of us. And he did it because he loved us. In fact, one of God's names is love. 1 John 4.8 says, for God is love. And it's because he loved you so much that he demonstrated that love by coming on Christmas as a child so that you can have internal peace. And peace comes when there is no barrier or wall between us and God. Peace is the evidence of forgiveness. When we go to God asking for forgiveness, he removes that barrier. He removes that wall and he embraces us. And he says, I love you. Come to me. And when we go to Christ and pour out our bitterness, he pours in his peace. So how do we do this? We do this by having a relationship with God. And I love how Philippians says it. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, If we called on the name of Jesus... He would give us the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. So have you called on his name? You know, in my lifetime, I've heard of people who God has spoken to, and at the end of the day, they've got on their knees and called on the name of Christ because they've hit rock bottom. They've realized that they are weak. And that something inside of them has changed forever. That that barrier came down and they realized who Jesus really is. So maybe someone here needs to get down on their knees and say, and call on the name of Jesus and ask Jesus to change their life. That's how you get this internal peace. When you call on his name, when you pray in his name, when you walk in his name and talk in his name, you will be able to find that inner peace that you were looking for. And this is why a weary world can rejoice. It's the name of Jesus. I'm going to call the worship team up. So what child is this? The child is the Messiah. A child with a name, not just any name, but a powerful name. Jesus came as a child 
with more than four names. Do you know how many names he has in the Word of God? 256 names. Why? Because he is infinitely beyond us. And not one name can express who Jesus is. The name of Jesus is above every other name. And again, when we pray in his name, when we give thanks in his name, when we live out the power of his name, we are internally transformed and changed. So this morning, if you're feeling lost, afraid, overwhelmed, or struggling in any way, Call in the name of Jesus. Get on your hands and knees. Give him your life and see what he does. He is a wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting Father. And he is the Prince of Peace. God, as we reflect on your name, thank you that there is power. That when we call on your name, that you can give us that inner peace that we need, despite everything that's going on. And God, if there's someone here this morning that needs that inner peace, I just pray that they would admit their weakness they would believe in you this morning and that they would commit their life and recognize what you did as you came as the Christmas child who gave your life, paid for their sin. We just ask that you would breathe life this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let's stand and sing, what child is this?